0: This is Iron Mike Stedman, and on this episode of Dog Whistle Brandon, I'm joined by Blaine Tompkins, founder and CEO of Air Armor Tech, a company that sells inflatable, military-grade gun cases and scope covers filled with air. Blaine is a former Air Force pilot turned entrepreneur and one of my cohort members in the Lions Pride. We discuss Air Armor Tech's go-to-market strategy and the challenges that they've had along the way, particularly with regards to honing in on their perfect customer and driving consistent recurring revenue. Aramir Tech is a capital intensive business, and Blaine keeps it real on the financial burden that comes with it. Whether you're selling a manufactured product or not, make sure you listen to Blaine's advice as you refine your own go to market strategy. Before you hear from Blaine and I, make sure you sign up for the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter at the link in the show notes. All right, Gunny, get them ready.
1: Yo, saddle up, lock and load.
0: Welcome to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide weekly tech planning on marketing, brand strategy, and category design for early and growth stage veteran-owned small businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, and CEO of Ironbound Media, a podcast production agency that helps veteran-owned businesses create distribute, and grow branded podcasts in order to engage with your ideal audience. Each week on this series, I coach you through the different marketing, branding, and category design strategies that I've developed over the years to drive revenue and increase customer engagement. Those are the only ROI that matter for a dog whistle brand. I'll also include case studies where I bring on guest SMEs or business owners to provide a debrief on their dog whistle brand strategy. Before we jump into the show, Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB and our work at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Thanks for tuning in to Dog Whistle Branding. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Blaine Tompkin. Blaine, what's going on, brother?
1: Not much, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, you know we've uh, become uh, more than just acquaintances over the past few years. And I just, I, I really appreciate you extending me this opportunity, my friend.
0: Now, nah, man, I'll tell y'all, me and Blaine are part of the Lions Pride. And when I first came up with this idea, was toying around with this idea of launching this platform, you know, you were one of the first people that were like, hey. Once you launch, I'm listening, I'm signing up, whatever newsletter, if it's a podcast or something. And so it's uh, super dope to get you here on the show. Mm -hmm. So what I would love for you to do is first, just tell everybody about who you are, what you got going on with Air Armor Tech. You know, I I know you said you have an interesting story about how you came up with the idea. And then let's jump into your go-to-market, i.e. how you're able to uh, launch it and start getting some revenue.
1: Right. So briefly, I I, I always wanted to fly for the military since I was four years old, you know, so I was able to accomplish that, uh, that dream. I was very fortunate, the Lord looking after me. And, uh, I flew for the Navy for 11 years, Hornets and Super Hornets. I flew for the Air Force for another 10 after that F-16s. And I was working on the F-35 program, um, the helmets that we wear, uh, are are very very expensive the one i wore in the navy was like 300 grand the one i wore in the air force was about 200 grand a piece and then on the f-35 program they're hundred thousand dollars a copy so i happened to be sitting in this um, where they brought in and showed us the helmet and i was the only pilot sitting in there and when they told us how much the helmet was worth uh i, I just i was floored because you know that's twice as much as my house and they had it in a big, heavy plastic case, which I would have done too, you know, like a Pelican case, but there's no way to get something like that into the cockpit. So the other option was a green, flimsy bag. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way because that doesn't protect it. And now you got this $500,000 asset that guys like me, you know, especially early on, are probably throwing around, getting damaged, causing money, losing flights. So I thought, wow, you know, I wore a G-suit. Every day for 21 years, not at that point, but, uh and I wore a LPU around my neck, a life preserving unit. And I thought, well, why don't you just have a bag that inflates and protects the item while you need to protect it. And then when you don't need the protective bag, you can just deflate it and store it. Doesn't add any weight. So Anyway, long story short, I I uh, I went back home and I had to figure out what the materials of the G-Suit were. So I cut apart my Navy G-Suit, which was kind of hard to do. And I, I basically built a prototype in my garage and and filed a U.S. patent, which I didn't get for like seven years later. Uh, but that's that's kind of the genesis of, of the idea.
0: How do you describe it now? So when people say, what is Air Armor Tech, what do
1: you tell yeah. them? Revolutionary. Revolutionary, world-class protection for your asset or your gear in any environment on Earth. the really is the lightest and most protective equipment on Earth.
0: One thing I've been telling Blaine, though, is I think you need to design a category for it. You know, I was working with uh, Susan from Demos on this performance shovel idea. She's going to be on the podcast, too. But think about it, like, you want a normal shovel, go over here. But if you want a performance shovel, we're the number one source for performance shovels. Ooh, what the heck is that? You know, and then you start paying a premium. And one of the things is uh, position yourself or be positioned, you know, owning it in the eyes of the prospect of who you are, what you stand for and what separates you from everyone else. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to create a, 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 new, marketing and ca- mark, a new market category like I'm doing with Dog Whistle Brandon.
1: Yeah. So it's like the story of Yeti, you know, exactly. I mean, you walk down the shelf and you see a Coleman for thirty five dollars, you know, and then an igloo for forty two ninety nine. And then you see a Yeti for four hundred dollars. I mean, if anything, it, it makes you ask questions. And for us, our stuff is just really expensive to make. We don't really have a choice. We have to take that track. But I think it'll it'll work if we can get the word out and we can inform enough people. And they'll ask, why is it so expensive and be part of it? Cause it's the so, best.
0: Yeah. Once you had your initial products, whether they're beta or whatever, how did you go about securing your first uh, clients?
1: Well, you know, a lot of it was trade shows. And, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll jump a little early just to, to, you know, I know we're going to talk about lessons learned. And one of the things is I was so, uh, are concentrated so much on the prototyping and on the developing the product and getting a good product that I actually I have product I only have four products right now but I have maybe eight or 10 prototypes because that's what I was really interested in what I the mistake I made is I did not budget enough money if much at all towards marketing you know so early on we even went to shows cause we didn't get the production done. We went to shows with prototypes. and you want to talk about a long show when you don't have anything to sell, they're they're even they're ten times longer than if you have something to sell. So early on we we went to trade shows, you know, hunting, trade shows. We just happened to launch a, a hunting line, gun cases, scope covers, and we didn't have a photography line and some of the other things we'd like to do, but we we went to like hunting shows. Um, and, and the higher end hunting shows, if you will, like Dallas Safari club. And then, and then really we thought it would just, uh, you know, word of mouth, hey, people see it and then they'll just tell all their friends and they'll buy it. But, um, uh, you will sell 0% to people who don't know that you're out there and don't know about you. So ours was getting in front of people really.
0: So one of the things I've been a big proponent of lately is this market first approach, you know, so identifying the market. Right. Carving out your niche in that market and then massaging it with the category design, you know. And so for you, right, when you roll this product out, how did you know there was demand for what you're offering? Right. Did you know were you getting some hits early on? You know, because that's one of the issues is a lot of companies, you know, no market need is real. So how were you able to find out that there was actually a market with people spending money on the product that you're offering?
1: Started off um, in, in, in the development stage, I would say, because none of our products, you know, being coming from the military, sometimes we would get gear and you'd be like, man, did the person who made this or designed this even know what I do for a living? You know, because it just didn't, it didn't make my life any easier. In fact, it probably made it harder. So we started out, we got our prototype products in the hands of military users, law enforcement users, and like the general, Hunter or shooter, you know, which, you know, we would term the commercial side of the market. We got it in their hands and we asked for feedback. Nobody said, and I'm serious, nobody said, this is a dumb idea. It'll never work or I wouldn't use this. Um, eventually, the, the, the pushback we would get is, man, you know, as soon as you tell them the price is expensive, but, but no one said they didn't like it. So that kept us pushing forward. We paid for booths and then standing in front of people. Uh, really was where we got the best feedback and and so even though I said that it was kind of a tough time to to be at shows with prototypes, what it did give us is uh, a good indication that people said that that if if we had product to sell they would buy one right there you know and we took emails and and got back a hold of some of those people and they purchased from us but but really it was the face-to-face interaction and taking all feedback and being very objective and, and and making sure that we had a good idea to to keep putting money into.
0: Yeah. And here's the deal, right? Was this your first venture?
1: Uh, In this area? Yeah. I mean, I've done, yeah. you know, little real estate things and stuff like that, but this was my first like manufacturing slash, you know, selling a widget of any type. Yes. Yeah,
0: and the reason I ask is at the end of the day, you got something out there, right? I know you're beating yourself up about spending too much time on product, but you know, business is a contact sport and by you being at the trade shows, you getting feedback, you talking to people, right? You're figuring out whether you have something that they're willing to buy. Now, one thing, and I want our listeners to think about though, that, you know, uh, Blaine said, you got to be careful. This is when you roll products out, everyone, your friends and family might be like, Oh, this is a great idea. The next step is get them to pay for it on the spot. they like, go, Oh yeah, will you buy one right now? And that's the thing, right? Because it's like, okay, people will tell us it's a great idea, but to have a real demanding product or service, right? You want to validate it with money, you know, and revenue. And that's what I learned the hard way. So when I launched Ironbound Media, again, once I started coming out with this, I put some prices out, people started paying and I realized I was onto something.
1: I think that's a really good point, Mike. And, and let me just uh, reiterate in, in, from the Air Armor Tech perspective, uh, what exactly, how that went. Um, and a lesson I learned from it is that you're absolutely right. When you're standing with with a prototype, everyone wants to buy because they're being, you know, they may just be being nice and um, but but they weren't having to take cash or a credit card out of their wallet. Um, Had I had it to do over again, I think I would have spent less money on the production and done. You you know, I think we 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 made like 750 scope covers at first. Um, I, I probably should have made like 100, you know, and paid a premium. And then go on and see, hey, when we sell out of these, we're gonna buy 250. And when we sell out of these, now we'll buy 750. Because we held on to inventory for a long time. And that that inventory, um, since we didn't put anything into marketing, we weren't selling as fast as we could have. And we held on to money, and that's just money sitting there doing nothing, you know. It, it's good to have something to sell, but I think I think I would have made a smaller production run and gone and tested the market, see what works, and then put some of that cash we spent on inventory into marketing and promotion and, and informing the public. Cause an interesting thing about our, our stuff, you know, like I, we, we aren't making, we're covering and we're protecting a weapon or an optic, you know, like a scope, um, and, and everybody knows what that is. They know what it does, you know. And so when Sig Sauer or you know Colt or whoever comes out with a better you know tweak on their thing, they're just explaining a little category. We were explaining a whole new category of protection. You know, it wasn't a hard case and it wasn't a soft case. It was it did both better. Um, so we 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 should have spent more more money on that.
0: But and here's another thing, too, right? For listeners that are tuning in, you can also do pre-sales, right? So, you know, having that prototype, getting, say, 100 whatever in pre-sales, and then using that to actually fund the production and then rolling it out.
1: That is an option. And we did not pursue it, and I wish we would have. But we, we could have done some pre-sales at those shows where we didn't have product and, and another lesson learned for, for the audience. Because All really, right. at the end of the day, sales is king. And I know that's a cliche, but... Yeah. You can have all these fancy boxes and products on shelves and ready to sell, but until you're selling and you get that cash flow going, you're not paying yourself, which is kind of a big deal. I'm still not paying myself.
0: More <laughs> I was on, that yeah, why,
1: why? on that later. Yeah, more on that
0: later. All right. So you roll this out. All right. So you got the product. You probably throw up some website. You've got the trade. So what else was your initial marketing stack? Was that it? Or were you like posting on social media and doing everything else?
1: We were posting on social media. You know, We uh, it was because I'm not a social media guy, per se. Like, I don't have a Facebook page, but we got a Facebook page. We got an Instagram page. I think we got a Twitter and a LinkedIn, but we didn't really do much with those. So we did try the social media side of it. We got a website, you know, and all this is kind of like if you had seen it in the beginning, you know how it is. It was pretty low no budget. Yeah, yeah, it ain't even in the
0: beginning. Experience. It's sausage making right now. Everybody knows. Listen, this right. is a real podcast, right? This ain't right. Forbes. We're not going to tell you how amazing we are. We're making sausage and we're turning into businesses. <laughs> so let's just keep it real.
1: That's absolutely right, man. And and, and the thing is, is that um, it was nice to have it up. And I was very, you know, we were all very proud of, of having an actual website, having an Instagram page, having a, you know, a Facebook page. But when you're selling an expensive product, especially the the whole thing, the whole package has to scream quality, you know, because you're you're charging a premium. And I don't think in the beginning, you know, people probably saw it, saw the expense and went to our website and were probably like, gosh, did these guys, you know, make this in their garage? And we did, <laughs> you know. So, so
0: after a little hand-to-hand combat, you know, you launch, you get beat up, people aren't buying eventually you start earning some revenue, right? Now you already said the trade show, but who was the perfect customer that was purchasing these products from y'all? Was it a B2C play or was it B2B?
1: Um, Well, we'd have to include in there the military, you know, and law enforcement because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, two different sales. When you're selling, uh, you know, direct to the consumer, um, it's just someone at a trade show or buying off our website, you know, where they, they had money and they bought it and we sent it to them or handed it to them for the military and the law enforcement. You know, you have to plant the seeds and they take a little longer to germinate. But instead of selling one or two products at a time, you know, you're selling 10 or 12 products at a time. So uh, there are goods to both. The The good to direct to consumer is the speed at which you can sell. But normally the size of the sale is going to be small. But. Um, Germinating and and watering the seeds, you know, with law enforcement, military, or other groups. Um, you know, we've sold to DHS and and some other uh, government entities. The good thing about that is, in one day, you can send off. You know, you can make in one day what you make in two weeks uh, to the to the consumer. So that was good. We also use dealers. Um, you got to take a hit on a dealer, which was hard for us to do. With you know, we had low margins, but. Um, what I did learn about that, maybe for your your viewers or your listeners, is um, nothing is substitutes getting in front of the person that you're selling to, you know, because no one's going to be as excited as you are. And cold calls, I could make 100 phone calls, Mike, I, 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 I swear, and make zero sales. You know, they'd all be interested. Hey, send me an email on that, you know, send me this or, you know, uh, call me back later. But didn't make a sale but if if I jumped in the truck with one of my guys and and drove you know up to Oklahoma or down to South Texas or whatever we'd walk out uh six out of nine gun shops with a with a check in our hand so getting in front of people really really helped in the in the beginning
0: yeah if people were trying to pay for a premium product or service you know and I'm not talking about the you know $100 here but when they start paying real money people want to look you in the eye you know they want to know that you have their best interest at heart And that's one of the things I think gets lost on the sauce these days in the business community is just, you know, it's not just about selling bullshit to people. You know, (laughs) we're selling real stuff. You know, we want people to know that we value their time and money and resources and investing in us. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to, you know, speak to them. That's one of the reasons I do these podcasts, you know, (laughs) get on here and let people know, like, hey, if you want to know how I think, jump on one of these podcasts and hear us uh, chop it up a bit. Now, one (laughs) of the things I want to ask you this, though, right? Of the 100 customers you said you cold call whatever, do you think that one, let me rephrase this, okay? I have learned that when you are launching a product or service, your first 100 customers is like a bloodbath. You know what I mean? It's hand-to-hand combat. It's hand-to-hand combat. And what you want to find are people that already have the problem that you're uniquely positioned to solve, are looking for the solution, and are actively spending money for it, i.e., that perfect customer, right? They're actually not quite your perfect customer yet because you haven't worked with them and they might be a pain in the ass, but they meet, meet the profile, okay? And a lot of times entrepreneurs can swim upstream trying to sell a product or service that's just not a good fit. So is it you think that those first hundred were really not your perfect customers or was it because you know they just didn't see you
1: yet? Yeah, and I'll roll that uh, in with the prior question that I failed to answer that you asked, and I apologize about our perfect customer. Um, you know, our perfect customer is either uh, you know, like the military or law enforcement guy where his life depends on you know his 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 or her uh, uh, gear working, um, but then also on the commercial side, you know, it's the guy who's going on a hunt where he has to hike it 10 miles in, you know, or he's paid $10,000, $40,000 for a sheep hunt or something like that, where if they hit their optic on a rock and knock it off zero, doesn't matter what the warranty on that optic is out there, you know, 15 miles in country up in the mountains. So we found that our perfect customer is the person who truly understands the capability that we're providing, you know, and is not scared off by the cost. We believe eventually people will get a better understanding and then they will say, you know, I am now understanding how that product could make my life better. And then they'll they'll save their money to afford it. But our, our perfect customer not only has, sees, you know, the solution that we provide, uh, but, but also can, can afford it. And those first hundred cu- customers, I, I would say that we kind of got a mixed, you know, bag. We didn't, weren't always hitting the right places. But I, like I said, we did shows. What we learned is very early on is that we, we didn't do the shows like a gun show. If you've ever been to a gun show before, that's like, a, you know, a, a, a swap shop. You know, people are just looking for a good deal and they're looking to get something for as cheap as possible. Not our customer. Then we did a show like Dallas Safari Club where guys are going on safaris. They're flying to South Africa. You know, they're flying to, uh, uh, you know, anywhere in the world just to get to their hunt. They're spending the cash they understand.
0: Here's our- the, you launched and you conducted a movement to contact, right? So you had those hundred customers and then you're finding out, you know, who's buying, who's not. And so now you're actually able to have this like feedback loop to let you know where you should focus your time and attention on. What you just talked about, though, is a completely different vertical, right? So, again, you roll out military law enforcement, but now you're talking about, you know, people that are hunting, spending expensive money on these rifles and these scopes. As you start to look at your offering now, right, where is the most revenue coming from? Is it coming from the military or is it coming from these uh, hunters, et cetera?
1: Right now, uh, and especially because of the lockdown, you know, which is unusual or not normal in the, you know, the time that Aramur Tech has been around. We haven't been able to get on bases. You know, it's been a lot uh, more difficult to get access. When we do make a sale on on the, the military law enforcement, it's normally larger. But right now we have kind of focused our our efforts and our marketing and everything towards internet sales. Direct to consumer, they get on our, you know, push them to the internet. Or excuse me, push them to our website, and we want our goal has been that by the time they get to their website, they're thinking about purchase. They're not thinking about figuring out who Air Armor Tech is. So, the Instagram I told you about, Facebook and stuff like that, that's where we do kind of the the informing them about what exactly the product is, what the concept is, and who Air Armor Tech is, so that when they get to the website, we're not doing that. And the reason I say this because when we started out in the beginning, our our Website was kind of a big um, information, you know, or infomercial, you know, kind of. And it was just very laborious for them to sit there and learn. We want to teach them outside. They come to the website to buy and it's working. We're we're increasing Internet sales. There's nothing. It's not huge, but we're increasing about 100 to 200 percent month over month uh, now. And and year over year.
0: What's your marketing stack look like these days? Uh, I don't understand what's marketing. I'm using I'm using startup terms, y'all. I read a couple of books, so I started calling them stacks, right? So a lot of times, you know, we're trying to go to market and it's like, okay, what is our, what does our stack look like? Might be social media and it can be one Instagram account or it can be LinkedIn or it could be something else. Maybe you're doing email newsletters. And then another thing you could be doing is like a podcast or something. So for example, my marketing stack currently is the Dog Whistle branding podcast, Right, my second stack are uh, the podcasts that we're actually producing for clients, right, and marketing those, you know, to help our clients grow their shows, but also raise awareness about our products and services. And the last one is me writing some blog posts and some thought leadership articles on uh, dog whistle branding. So those are my three marketing stacks. It's the podcast. It's uh, uh, helping out our clients, or orchestrating referrals, referral process. And then the last thing is thought leadership. So as you start to say, okay, I need to market Air Armor Tech. These are the areas I'm investing money in. This is what I put together for it, right? That's what I'm asking in terms of marketing stack because there's a lot of stuff our viewers can do, but I think it's beneficial when they learn from successful entrepreneurs, what they're doing and how they're focusing their time, effort and money.
1: Yeah, so I would say, If I had to put a number on it, I'd say the, the, the majority, you know, maybe 75 percent is uh, the, the the social via Instagram or, or Facebook, you know, developing and putting out content. And it could be anything from like having, you know, we get customers to send us a picture of their elk or moose or, you know, whatever they take down and and with their Air Armor Tech stuff. So that's that's the I would say that's the biggest uh, one where we're spending time other places is, is actually, and I know this is a little bit different than yours, but we're, you know, we're trying to get, we're trying to develop a a global reach. And so we're spending some time. um, We just got six agents in South America, even though that's, they're in a terrible lockdown there. We got some in Europe, uh, Israel, you know, um, so we're trying to develop those because really what, what, we need is is larger sales at a time and we need boots on the ground to do that 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 speak the language you know and know the culture and 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 so it, it's it's kind of something that doesn't return immediately but could return big you know could could pay for everything else if we if we get that rolling so social media for here at home and internet sales we've actually stopped selling to dealers unless we have a really good reason to do so. Like we got, you know, some in Alaska and things that we can't reach um, where shipping is a concern and we can ship them bulk orders, you know, and then they can parse it out. And it's, it's, you know, semi, uh, semi reasonable, you know, price to ship each item. Um, And I'm getting a little off topic, but I, I think that Instagram is our main one second by, you know, a little bit Facebook, not a whole lot there. And then uh, really person to person, you know, developing the agents.
0: Listen, sales counts on a marketing stack because like we were talking about before at the end of the day, right? Like you got to drive revenue and some of the best marketing you can get is that direct feedback from customers who are buying, you know? And like I said, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you have less than 100 customers, your marketing stack needs to be a sales component. Somebody is getting out there, talking to people, getting beat up biting tooth and nail to drive revenue. Don't be like me and skip over that. You know, when I had my first business, you know, Ironbound Boxing's for-profit arm, I was not out there selling. I was scared of it. When I launched Ironbound Media, I didn't even go public with it. I just started selling behind the scenes. And then after I got a certain number of revenue, you know, I was already probably at, uh, you know, 75K plus when I was like, start telling other people about what I was doing behind the scenes. So that's fine.
1: Yeah. No. Hey, Mike. Let me let me touch on that hundred person that, because you just made me think of something. Um, like it's only a hundred people, right? And you know, unless you're selling houses or something like that or cars, like hundred is not a very big number. But I, I think it's super critical what you're saying for your listeners because I didn't look since we didn't really have a marketing budget. I didn't look at the individual sales. Sometimes I would only sell like one product in a whole week, you know, and. It got very frustrating, but I can't tell you how proud I was of that sale, one. And then two, I didn't look at it as a sale, just that sale, because that person who has, you know, this new piece of gear is going to go tell their buddies. And the power of suggestion and the power of like, hey, you know, I put up the money and this thing works awesome. You're actually you're developing Your own sales force, whether you know it or not, and they're your customers and they're the best kind because they don't they're not you're not paying them. And their friends know that, you know, they put their hard-earned money on it. So if you're getting frustrated by low sales, just, you know, let it keep letting it work. And each one you sell, four or five more people are going to, you know, hear about it.
0: Plus, after you do that, all right, if you sell 100 of a product, one, you've already validated the market that you have something, right? You validate the product. Now you've got some real marketing assets you can leverage. The referrals, you can write blog posts, you can take photos, right? It's not just, oh, I have this great idea or I have this great product, right? Now you've got real customers that you can highlight and you can make it real to the rest of the world and start orchestrating referrals. So, you know, even with this podcast, again, one of the reasons I launched this podcast is. In the past, I've been guilty of, uh, well, actually, this is my first time running an agency. So let me not say in the past, but actually still in the past, I get a client. I'm focused on that client, delivering that client's podcast, you know, me and my team working on it. Well, guess what? If I'm focused slowly on client delivery, who else is out there marketing, right? Nothing's happening. And so what ends up happening? You finish with one client. Now you got to go chase another client. Now you got to go chase another client, right? Versus how can I get those first 100 customers concurrently while building a brand, putting uh, education and knowledge into the ecosystem and starting to fill, you know, my sales funnel, my marketing funnel, right? So again, you really want to do both a little bit, right? But what I'm emphasizing is go get those first 100 customers, get those sales, but also make sure you're having some kind of marketing taking place. Even if it's just, you know, having some user-generated content of them thanking you for, you know, client delivery or, you know, hey, send us a photo of you with your Air Armor tech or something so that your bill needs up concurrently. Absolutely. Now, what I want to ask you, Blaine, is that you start looking towards the future, okay? We, you've got your BHAG, which is that long-term goal, right? That's that North Star. But also, you know, in Alliance Pride, we talk about this a sandbox. Where's the sandbox you want to play in in a few years, right? As you start to look away, you know, three to five years down the road, where do you pitch your Air Armor tech? And what I want to know for our, our listeners is from a branding and marketing perspective, what are the steps you need to take to get you in that sandbox and then get you to that BHAG?
1: Okay. Um, three to five years from now, I, I want You know, for Air Armor Tech, we, we, you know, I've got a hundred products envisioned. You know, anything that's sensitive and valuable can be protected by our our gear. I want someone to see our gear, have no idea what it's protecting and say, I don't know what that's protecting, but that's a quality piece of gear. I know Air Armor Tech, you know, that's probably a tall order for the next three to five years. But um, I, I want a... and and need the cash flow to open up each new product. You know, I told you earlier, you know, I'm not paying myself. I I think that I want to slip in a lesson learned here for anyone who's thinking about starting their own business. You got to be fully committed. And I sold my house. Um, You know, I had, you know, bought houses in the military and I ended up with the one. I had a lot of equity and I sold my house to do this. And I'm renting for one of the first times in my life. I'm driving around an 18 year old vehicle with 270,000 miles on it and I don't pay myself unless I need it to, to get the rent because I am building and, and nurturing a baby Air Armor Tech that I'm hoping is going to take care of me when I'm older, you know, and anything I'm taking from that child right now is just stunning its growth and and reducing its ability to do that. So I I am all in ain't going to quit, you know, and you have to have that uh, mentality. So uh, back to the sandbox, you know, I would like to be sold on a global perspective. The patent here is not going to last forever. Um, And I would like to sell in all 50 states. You know, now we've probably sold in about half of them, you know, but I would like to sell in every state. And then I would like getting back to get back to the model where, we use dealers and it's not all us working as hard as we can. It's dealers who invest in the inventory. You give them a cut and they're actively selling all over the United States.
0: Love it. Now put your CMO hat on, you know, cause you're probably going to hire a chief marketing officer at some point,
1: right? How I got, are well you now uh, who, who kind of, he works part-time for me. I couldn't afford him. He, he used to be the marketing uh, manager for Cabela's. Bass Pro Shop. So I've got the right guy in there. I just don't have as much time of his time and that I would like. And I also don't have as much of a budget to give him so that he can, I could really unleash him and let him run. He's doing a lot on a shoestring budget.
0: No, I'm sure. But I'm, what I'm trying to get at is again, like we always talk about, like, we're really good at the strategy, right? Like, Oh, we got to go here. We got to do that. But in terms of right, like Yeti didn't just become Yeti, you know, Yeti was making some moves in the minds of consumers that you need this three hundred dollar cooler, or this you know hundred dollar damn water bottle. Okay, so from you, like you've got the mindset of a CMO, right? From a marketing branding perspective, what do you need to do? What moves do you need to make to position Air Armor Tech in the eyes of you know these consumers so that you can accomplish that sand uh, that sandbox and that Bhat goal?
1: Well, the first thing that we're going to try to do outside of just making our, our, our marketing a little more robust, you know, whether it's, you know, even as little as like AdWords and, and promoting, you know, our, our, cause it's not as easy just to throw something up on Instagram anymore. Now you have to pay, you know, to get it to be effective. Um, what, what I see us doing, um, and I just, sorry, I just lost my, my, uh, Train of thought. It happens when you podcast. Oh, I know. So, um, strategic partnerships. Okay, so uh, we just used a different pattern uh, for uh, several of our products. It's the Cryptek pattern. Uh, It's owned by an army uh, helicopter guy who founded it. Uh, Pretty good brand. uh, Really good brand, actually. High quality stuff. Looks sharp and. as soon as we get our inventory built up, we're going to start selling through them. And I think it does a couple of things. If there is an opportunity, uh, you know, for one of your listeners out there, if they can make any connection to a company that's bigger than them, it gives you instant credibility. So we have several of those that we're, we're working with both uh, gun manufacturers like Benelli, because we're coming out with a gun sleeve, you know, that's good for the shotguns, very high quality. Um, We're going to sell all of our products through Cryptech, and we're going to leverage because they benefit from it, too. And we're going to leverage them advertising for us, their advertising dollars. And when when we become associated with and, and, you know, used in the same sentence as a Cryptech or a Benelli or a Sig Sauer, it it automatically puts us on the map because they don't do that. Often we just happen to offer them something that that no one else can offer them that their users and their customers would buy. So that's that's kind of the big thing is to get aligned with those guys and and hold on for the ride. Hopefully,
0: I haven't done an episode on it yet, but we call that a Trojan horse and the dog whistle branding ecosystem, right? And it Good works in the it. early it works in the early stages when you're launching because this is another thing, right? When you first start out, you have no trust, you have no credibility, you don't have any of these things, right? So one of the easiest ways to do it is find somebody you have that already likes, knows and trusts you, right? Work with them. You probably take less margin, but it gets you credibility in the space and you you learn what you don't know. So there's that one piece. But then just like you said, as you get older, right? And now you're trying to get to that next level. You find a Trojan horse once again to bring you up on a deal because now you're not just trying to get a start. You're trying to elevate the brand in the eyes of the consumers, right? So Trojan horse, find you a Trojan horse, whether it's in the early stage to get you launched or in the growth stage to get you to the next level.
1: It, Mike, that's so true because, you know, especially if you're you're selling a quality product, like I didn't want people to know that I was working out of my garage and my whole house was filled up with products. You know, they, we, we have a limited lifetime warranty. How, how, how much would you have trusted in that if you'd have known all, my, all the gear was in my house?
0: I'm going to push yeah. back on you, though. Listen, I'm listen, I, Dog Whistle Brandon is all about channeling through the noise, standing out from the crowd, and playing your flag into the ground, saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why it should work with us. I think yeah. more entrepreneurs need to own that. Because here's the deal. These customers, they know we're not Coca-Cola. You know, they know we're not Yeti. Okay? And at the end of the day, you don't want to be Yeti. You want to be Air Armor Tech. So I have no problem now Hey guess what? I'm in my garage right now, but you'll never find anybody working harder than me and my team. You know, give us a chance. And then you start to build that brand, you start to invite people in the story, right? Now you're you you're getting super fans cuz they're rooting for you. There's enough people in business pretending that there's something they're not that I feel like authenticity, right? Not just in a sense of like, "Oh, I'm just so authentic," but in terms of just being open and honest right. And saying, this is who we are. This is what we got going on and invite people to be a part of the journey with you.
1: It is very engaging. And, and people know that when you're being, you know, you're you're legitimately just being humble and not trying to be more than than you are. Um, and I probably do that uh, too much. And I've been told by, you know, my partners and, and guys I work with, like, hey, maybe you're being a little too honest, you know, but, but I, I think that the, like, from what you're saying, the customer gets it when, when they know you're genuine, you know, and, and hey, here, here it is. Of course, we want to be Yeti, but we got to we got to get there somehow, you know. And,
0: and here's the other thing, too. We have to recruit fans and fans are going to come from our networks and our communities, you know, and with us being veterans. And first of all, it's a blessing to be on here with you, Blaine, you know, for us to be able life. to leave the military, go on this entrepreneurial journey, trying to slay dragons. You know, we're like Muhammad Ali coming back to fight George Foreman, right? It's that hard, right? But we're on this pathway. We're on this journey. And it's a blessing to be able to do it because, you know, there's a lot of people in our community that are looking for that next sense of purpose, that next mission. And yeah, we don't make a lot of money, but guess what? You're energized. I see the excitement in your eyes. Every time you come on a call, I'm energized about what I do. And I say that to say that there are people that are not in the positions we're in now that want to be in those positions. And you've seen them on the calls of like, they haven't pulled the trigger yet. They haven't got any skin in the game and they're watching and living vicariously through us. Well, when we start to share our journey and the lessons we learned and keep it authentic, then we show them what's possible. And then they become our fans. And then guess what? When they come across some opportunity, they're like, you know what? I would love to introduce you to my guy, Blaine, man. He's over there cranking out Air Armor Tech in his garage. You know, and you'd be surprised at how stuff like that rolls. And I say that because we have listeners that are tuning in. Right. I don't have a big warehouse. I don't got nothing crazy. You know, you just said you sold your house. You're in. I'm written. This is the reality. But I don't want them to get discouraged. I want them to let it know that, like, hey, this is real entrepreneurship. Again, we're not This ain't hype. Right. This ain't the little videos you see when you log on YouTube, sign up for this course, make a million dollars. This is that hand to hand in the trenches every single day.
1: Yeah. And and I think that, uh, you know, if you say that you can do it, that's that's the truth. If you say if you don't think that you can do it, that's the truth, too. You know, and you really you really have to want it. But I think that that uh, especially here in America, even still, um, it, it, if you set your mind to something and you stick to it, there there's nothing you can't do.
0: Man, what's the worst that you get beat up a little bit? You, you, you learn some lessons, you do something else. Now, in the time we got left, Blaine, what I would love you to do is any closing remarks or general advice you got for our listeners as they're, long, as they're going to market, right? Because this is the gap. Yeah. We're really good in the veteran space, teaching people how to start businesses, but in terms of getting zero to 100 customers and then 100 plus, right? We're not the best at it. So I would yeah. love you to share any general advice. And then the last thing, let us know as a community who your perfect customer is again and how we can help support you. On your journey,
1: okay, and and I'll I'll wrap some lessons learned in there um, too, Mike. Uh, and I've, I've kind of stated this, but I'm gonna restate it. You know, you got a budget for some marketing and some promotion, and it may not be money. You, you know, it may be taking advantage of opportunities like you're offering me. You know, where it, it's 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 time that you're investing, but it's worth it. And you got to get the message out. If you don't, don't expect customers to come. The other thing is that. Um, you got to be careful of employees. Uh, I I have, it's been one of my biggest lessons learned is that I have paid people handsomely on occasion when I'm not paying myself and I really got nothing out of it. And so you got to be very careful in the early stages, who you bring on to a, on to a new, uh, you know, a new venture because in a new venture, you can't say, okay, well, you're the accounts receivable person. That person may be taking out the garbage you know, doing accounts receivable and then helping you put product together and they have to be willing to do that. So you got to make sure that you do that. Otherwise they're going to pigeonhole themselves and you're going to do all the work, you know? So I, I've wasted a bunch of money on that and I've had to fire people and it's not fun. Even like friends of the family kind of, kind of things, just didn't work out. So be very careful about the employees. The other one is not as easy, but we've we've talked about, you know, going for our hundred customers and going for stuff. I I also think that you got to be careful about how many things you chase at one time, because I I have, you know, going to like SHOT Show, if you've ever heard of that, you know, where you get a hundred leads and then you get back home and you chase about a half dozen of them. And then you get back to business as usual. You know, you really got to focus in on which ones are the important ones and just take them to completion, even if you have to miss a couple, because, you know, like they say, one in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know, it does you no good if you don't close that deal. So you got to close the deal. So that's kind of the big one. Um, last thoughts, I guess, is that this has been very challenging. Um, Air Armor Tech, you know, it's probably one of the more challenging things I've done in my life. Um, I've landed on carriers at night where there's 50 foot visibility, you know, and this is this is equally hard in another way, maybe not death defying, but I thought, you know what, I got a great idea. I ended up getting a patent, you know. I'll just show it to people, and you know, I'll just make the product, and people will come. Now, that's not really the case, and there is a ton of work to be done. There's a ton of challenge. So I think that the first step for any new entrepreneur is to think about whatever venture that they're getting into. And make sure, one, that it'll work like you talked about. You know, there's a difference between people saying they'd buy and actually buying. So you got to test that out and then make sure it's something you're interested in for the long term. And then you have to decide, is this the one? If it's not, move on. Find another one. If it is the one, jump in with both feet, get ready to work and don't quit until you're done. You know, you have to stick at it and you have to know For a fact, it's going to be hard. That's why not everybody does it. Lots of people like to go, you know, sit in their cubicle, do their job, and then go home at the end of each day. And then they look forward to the weekends. You know, you want to look forward to every day and the challenges of that day. And if you don't like that, you you probably ought to do something else. You know, my my opinion on on advice that I give people starting a business has changed slightly, you know. And it's all about that commitment and making sure it's the right thing for you. Not what other people want you to do.
0: As someone that's run, won three national championships as a collegiate boxer, you always think that when you win that national championship, it's going to be so amazing. But guess what? You win it, you feel good for about five minutes, and then you realize that that's it. You know, and the same thing with these businesses, right? That's why I think what you said is so important. You got to enjoy the day to day. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's a grind. But like, do you actually enjoy showing up to work? And that's one of the goals that I'm focused on here with Ironbound Media is. Enjoying my work each and every day, and it sounds like that's what you're working on too. And again, it's a grind, but you're in it. You've got a product. You're out there. It's badass, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of your growth. So, how can our listeners support you? What do you need from us? Tell us. You know, let's mobilize the DWB community, and then uh, let them let us know where to find you.
1: Well, we're on uh, we're on Instagram. That's probably, you know, our biggest presence, small, smaller presence on uh, on Facebook. But uh, I think Instagram and just kind of check us out, see who we are. And if you know someone in your periphery that might benefit from our, our gear, um, you know, I mean, word of mouth and and just telling people about us, really, it seems so simple, but it, it's very, very important to us. And, and, and we appreciate uh, just anything, just getting the word out uh, about us.
0: Yeah, well, we'll be sure to include a link to your website in the show notes. To all our listeners, make sure you head over to airarmortech.com, check them out, spread the word. As you come across people in your network who can benefit from their from their product, make sure you start passing it along.
1: And I would love hey, for- Hey, Mike, yep. one other thing, sorry to interrupt, but you know what, man, we got some uh, t-shirts and hats and tumblers and stuff like that. If you get some, some interest from people- I'll send it to
0: them for free. Love it. Y'all heard it. That's great. So if you're interested in getting some swag, uh, shoot me a message and uh, shoot me an email. So again, if you're listening to this show, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter on Substack at the link in the show notes, as well as on your favorite podcast hosting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, and whatever you're listening to today. Uh, you, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, feel free to shoot me an email at Mike at Weirironbound.com or message me directly on our LinkedIn. And the same goes if you want me to cover a specific topic. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we help veteran business leaders create, distribute and grow branded podcast series in order to engage with their ideal audience. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is also powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders that serves mission driven, high performing small business owners with at the ready resources, battle tested tools, and full service support. We're proud to support veterans and other badass business owners at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com.